Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Plan on joining us for the holidays this year and spend Passover, Pentecost, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, or Sukkot with your brothers and sisters in Hudson, Wisconsin. Today, I'm going to try to inspire you to not only get on the derech, but to stay on the derech. I'm not sure if I'll be able to do that, but I feel obligated to give it a try as we prepare for the high holidays. Last week, I offered you some advice about how to get back on the derech. That's a Hebrew word that means path or way. The Bible uses the word derech when it talks about the path of life, the road to life, the way of life. The master referred to himself as the way, the truth, and the life, and his early disciples sometimes referred to themselves as the way. Yeshua taught that the way is narrow that leads to life, and only a few find it. His teachings define the narrow way that leads to the kingdom and the world to come. He contrasted the way of life against the broad road that leads to destruction. So as we prepare for the high holidays, we want to make sure that we are on the narrow way that leads to life and not the broad road that leads to destruction. I'm referring not just to life in the afterlife, the resurrection, the kingdom, or the world to come. I'm also referring to life in the here and now, as our master says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, John 10.10. What does it mean to have life abundantly? It's not just a matter of having a pulse. Abundant life means it's good to be alive. It means being connected with the source of life. In the source from which life springs, there is an abundance of life. And in our connection to the source, we realize that life is precious. Every moment counts. Life is good. Everything that happens is meaningful. God is the source of life, and he vivifies the whole world around us. King Solomon says, The wicked man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. Proverbs 29.6 When you are an addict, you think life is awful and bleak. You think that the only way to feel good is to get another hit of your drug. You don't realize that you only feel awful and bleak because of the drug. The only good feeling you are getting from your drug is that it acts as an anecdote to mask the terrible feeling left behind from the last hit of the drug. That's the cycle. That's how chemical addiction and substance abuse works. When the recovering addict gets through the initial difficulties and withdrawals and finally breaks free of the drug's hold, he is elated to discover that he feels fantastic without the drug, better than he ever felt on the drug. That's how sin works. Sin entices us by promising to gladden us. And why do we need to be gladdened? Because of the sorrow and empty feeling left behind by previous indulgences and sins. That's the cycle the sages speak of when they say, one sin begets another. But when you break free of sin, push through the withdrawals, and emerge on the other side, you reconnect with the source of life and realize that you feel better than you ever felt sinning. This is why Solomon says, the wicked man is ensnared in his transgression. 
but a righteous man sings and rejoices. Sin obstructs the flow of life. It has a parasitic effect, nourishing itself on our spiritual vitality like a vampire preying on our blood. It seems so enticing, so alluring, so natural. But, as Solomon says, her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of Sheol, she does not ponder the path of life. The path of life that sin ponders not is what I mean by the derech, that is, the way. In Judaism, you hear the idiom, he's back on the derech. That means someone has done shuva, repentance, and returned to his faith and religious practice. Likewise, you might hear someone say, he's off the derech. That means someone has abandoned his faith and religious practice and is walking in a manner contrary to godliness. So, in the previous teaching, I gave you a simple suggestion for finding your way back onto the derech. I suggested making three lists. List number one, the daily to-do list. List number two, the daily don't-do list. And list number three, outstanding debts list. For list number one, the daily to-do list, I told you to break down your spiritual goals for self-improvement into practical, achievable daily tasks. For example, my list says things like get up with alarm, shachrit, chapter from gospel, act of charity, etc. These are the basic tasks that you want as good habits in your life. The second list, the daily don't do list, is just the opposite. It's the stuff I want to remove from my life, and these might be sins and transgressions, or they might be things that are not sins as much as distractions from godliness. My list includes a lot of sorry transgressions and sins, but also more innocuous things like staying up past 10.30, because those seemingly innocent behaviors keep me from completing the items on my to-do list. Finally, the third list, the Outstanding Debts list, is a list of people's names. All the people on the third list either owe you something or you owe them something. Usually, it's an apology, but it might be something simpler. For example, you feel as if so-and-so owes you a dinner invitation since you observe that they invited over another family for Shabbat dinner but have never invited you. Something simple like that. Your instructions for this list are really easy. Everyone who owes you something, even if it's just an apology or a small kindness, you cross off the list. You forgive those debts. Just cross those names off and declare that debt canceled. That's the only way you can honestly pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Everyone to whom you owe something, even if it's just an apology, you take care of that by paying that debt before the holidays. Sooner the better. Some debts might be large, some might be small. Three lists. That's my simple formula for repentance. And it's not hard to repent. It's not hard to get back on the derech. If you're a disciple, the Holy Spirit of God should be urging you in that direction anyway. You feel it in your conscience. So you have some supernatural motivation to repent. There's a voice that's saying, this is the way, walk in it. 
What's far more difficult than getting back on the derech is staying on the derech. For a variety of reasons, we find it hard to stick to our resolutions. You've probably already realized this about yourself. If it wasn't hard to stick to, to our resolutions, we would all be tzadikim, totally righteous people. Moreover, we would all be healthy, fit, and trim. We would all be financially responsible. We would all be top students and top employees. We would all be fluent in Hebrew and able to play the piano. We wouldn't have bad habits. But that's not how it works. As King Solomon says, Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Proverbs 26.11 Why does the addict, after going to all the trouble of getting clean and free from the demon, go back to the addiction, ultimately inviting in seven demons worse than the first? Why do we find we need to confess the same sins over and over again? Why don't we keep our resolutions? Why can't we stick with a new decision, a new study program, a new diet, a new fitness regime, a new rule of speech, a new discipline, a new morning schedule, a new reading plan, a new relationship strategy, whatever it is? There's lots and lots and lots of reasons we don't stick with our resolutions. That's the problem. We think too much and come up with lots and lots of reasons not to stick with the plan. We let the little voice in our head talk us out of whatever it is we resolve to do, just once. That's all the evil inclination needs. This evil inclination only needs us to make a single exception. As soon as we make an exception to our resolve, it's no longer resolved. A process is in motion. A second exception to the rule, and it's an established pattern. And once a pattern of behavior is going, well, the rest is all downhill. The apostles say, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the master Yeshua, the Messiah, and Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Romans 13, 12 through 14. What does it mean to make no provision for the flesh? Well, what does it mean to make provision for the flesh? To make provision for the flesh means to give in to the excuses and objections raised by your natural inclination. Back in Parsha Shalach, I referred to the voice of the evil inclination as the ten spy voice. I identified the ten spy voice as that pragmatic, practical, and completely reasonable voice or voices in your head that always argues against your resolutions and good intentions to tell you why this isn't a good time to do whatever it was that you had on your list to do. Let me give you an example. One of my frustrations with myself has always been that during the winter, I get fat. Why? Because I don't exercise. Why? Because it's winter. Actually, it's because the evil inclination, the ten spy voice, warns me, it's cold out. You shouldn't go jogging. The sidewalks are slippery. Think about frostbite. It's snowing. It's, it's blowing. It's windy. One day I realized that 
every summer, the same voice says, You shouldn't go jogging. It's too hot out. You'll overheat. Or he would say, It's raining. It looks like rain. Or it rained. Or it's probably muddy. It, it was always something. Always something. So last fall, I decided, I'm not listening to you. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite of whatever you say. So I went outside to get exercise every day last winter. Every single day I spent about an hour outside, regardless of how cold, regardless of the weather. And if I had to jog in boots and a parka and choppers and a ski mask, I did it. I took it as a personal challenge to beat this guy at his own game. The evil inclination, the 10 spy voice, is also the voice that tells you, you can do that later. This is the most successful, his most successful ploy with me. He's too smart to say, you don't need to keep that mitzvah. If he said that, I would recognize his voice. He's much more clever than that. So he says, you can do that later. No need to do it now. Of course, it doesn't get done later. Have you ever noticed how people love to talk about new diet fads? You ever wonder which diet fad works best? Well, it turns out that all diets work. All of them. The problem is not the diet. The problem is staying on the diet. What I have found is that no matter what diet I try, if I don't follow it, it doesn't work. I could give you, I could give you more examples like this, but we've already discussed the phenomenon back at Parsha Shalach, so I don't need to belabor the point. Why can't we stay on the derech? The answer is simple. It's because we don't stay on the derech. It's not a lack of willpower. It's a lack of self-discipline. We allow the self to persuade us the way that Satan tempted Eve in the garden with lots of fancy talk and sophisticated arguments. He tells us, Is it really so necessary to stay completely on the derech? How could one step off the derech hurt? You deserve a break. The Satan speaks with a kind of reasonable concern, as if he has your best interests in mind. He doesn't. He wants to kill you. His words are a trap. If I was to say to an observant Jew, Surely you can have a little strip of bacon just this one time. He would say, God forbid, of course not. He would not make an exception, no matter how persuasively I reasoned with him. If that's the case, why do we allow ourselves exceptions in all these other areas of life? So here's the secret to staying on the derech. Shut that voice down. Pay attention. Take note of it when those ten spies start making their fine-sounding arguments. Listen for it in your head. Laugh at it and then ignore it. Take charge of yourself saying, I can do all things through the Messiah who strengthens me. No exceptions to the rule. If you make exceptions, it's not a rule anymore. No exceptions, no excuses. Don't be soft on yourself. Be hard. Be ruthless with yourself. How ruthless? The apostles say, put the self to death. It's supposed to be a fight to the death. 
This is what it means to be crucified with Christ. That is, dead to sin. I know that's really strong language, but that's the teaching of the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't know anything about the a type of religious life that takes a casual, oops, I did it again, oh well, glad I have Jesus, attitude towards sin. Instead, it's deadly serious. There's no theology in the New Testament that says, grace, grace, it's all by grace, don't worry about your sins. That's a distortion. The life of discipleship will never work so long as it's a passive, I know I should probably try harder to be godly, type of relationship with sin. No compromises. It's supposed to be a fight. There can be no compromises. Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 1 Peter 2.24. Listen, there's two parts to that. On the one hand, he bore our sins. On the other hand, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's why he bore our sins, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. In the teachings of the apostles, there's no negotiating with sin. There's no making excuses or exceptions. Instead, the apostles see the cross as the example of what to do with it, what to do with sin and the evil inclination and all of our weaknesses. Paul says, I have been crucified with the Messiah, and it is no longer I who live, but the Messiah lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20 in Romans 8, we read, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the physical body, to live according to the counsel of the evil inclination. For if you are living according to the evil inclination and in the physicality, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Romans 8, 12 to 13. I know the struggle. Even Paul admitted to the struggle with the why do I do what I do not want to do it's sin living in me discussion. I know the struggle, but I also know that there is no such thing as just one step off the derech, just one or two little steps or one day off. The reason we fail is because we sabotage ourselves by listening to that voice that says, just once or do it later. Successful people don't make excuses for themselves. They don't make exceptions to their own rules. They aren't soft on themselves. They don't drink the poison of self-pity and they don't eat the bread of idleness as it says. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. They get their butt off the couch. If you ever wondered why anyone pursues the monastic life to become a monk or a nun, this is one of the reasons you realize how undisciplined your life is. When you see what a mess it is, you realize how it's impossible to stay on the derech because you lack self-discipline. So you look, 
You look to the order to provide the discipline. You become a monk or a nun following a strict retinue of discipline. It solves a lot of problems for you. You no longer have all these options. You have to get up at the same time every day, attend a strict order of prayer, attending mass and prayer services, studying scripture and so forth. Every day, it's the routine. You don't have the option of taking a day off from the routine. Something governs your every moment. Vows of celibacy guard purity. Vows of silence guard your tongue. It's a life carefully structured to defeat the evil inclination. In the days of the apostles, this was the path of the students of John the Immerser who came eating no bread, drinking no wine, and it's a valid path. That's one way to stay on the derrick. The master taught a different path. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. He taught a path governed by two principles. To love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He does not ask his disciples to sequester themselves in a monastery and live in a life of austere deprivation and, and martial order. Instead, he counsels us to give our lives over to God for the sake of the love of God and to give ourselves to others for the sake of loving others as ourselves. It's not an easier path than that of John the Immerser, and it's not even a path of self-improvement. It's a path of self-abandonment for the sake of the love of God and the love of others. We don't need a monastic order of discipline. We have everything we need to structure our lives in the Torah and the teachings of our Master and his Apostles. We only need to cleave to his words and do them, as he says, the one who hears these words and does them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. We need to get back on the derech, and and this time stay on the derech. How do you stay on the derech? It's simple. Don't listen to the evil inclination. Don't listen to the ten spy voice. When you make that daily to-do list, don't think of it as a list of goals that you hope to accomplish if you have time. Make it your rule of conduct, without excuses, without exceptions, without exemptions. Likewise, with the the don't-do list, be ruthless and inflexible. What if you fail? Well, there's a difference between stumbling and intentionally walking off. But even if you fall off the path or wander off, it's not the end of the world. Don't use that as an excuse to give up on yourself because that's just another ploy of the Satan. Instead, start all over right away. Don't wait until tomorrow to start over. Start over right away. Don't stress out about it. Just do it. You aren't alone. Our master walks with you. He has already died and lives again. In him you will find life, and you will find it abundantly. Take on my yoke And learn from it And find rest for your soul